I'm Julia Sherbakov, and this is Impact Journey. Conversations with hidden heroes making big societal change. A lot of people, they do their job from nine to five and then they go back home again. And that's where they actually start living their lives. The work week is just a long boring wait for the weekend to begin again. And that's such a waste of time and talent. We simply ask ourselves the question, isn't there a better way of working out there? Today, I'm happy to welcome Pim DeMori. About his impact at Corporate Rebels, Pim and his co-founder Yoast visit pioneering organizations all around the world and share what they've learned. They also have a new book called Corporate Rebels Make Work More Fun. About his journey, Pim gives voice to two important experiences. One is a frustration with the soul-crushing existence most people have at work their whole lives. And two is actually a vision and very specific real examples of how work can be fun and fulfilling. Especially now, since we're all rethinking how we work, corporate rebels in looking at the best companies doing this found something that they have in common that is so basic that it's almost radical, treating people like they're humans. So I hope that you can also be inspired by this conversation with Pim DeMore. I often like to start going back to the beginnings and with you, Corporate Rebels was born from a bit of frustration with corporate work. And what I found fascinating is it was your first job that you were frustrated with right out of university. It took me a much longer time to get frustrated and try to do something else. And it could be because I mean, I grew up in the Soviet Union where you don't question things. And so I want to go back a little bit further how you grew up and what was it in you that was able to see something that didn't work for you and realize that there was another way of doing things? Yeah, interesting question, because I think, as you mentioned, when we started Corporate Rebels, we were really frustrated with the way that the organizations that we were working in were structured and how the work was organized making that decision of quitting and starting something new and to actually figuring out how work can be made better and more fun. I think that goes back to um, the way I uh, was raised. On the one hand, I think it's quite a lot in my personality to look at things quite positively. But at the same time, it's also been something that has been encouraged by my parents and my family quite a lot to not start complaining too much about situations, but turn them into something that you can actually do. Oh, that's so interesting. And what did they do? Did you see them doing something like that as well? They were making decisions in their life, not because other people expected them to make certain decisions, but simply to just do the thing they enjoyed doing. For example, for my mother who quit her job and started to follow her passion for training and, and breeding dogs. Not because people who were in their same positions were doing it, but simply because they wanted to live the life they wanted to live it. That's really cool. And that's that's so encouraging to have that in your life. If you quit and try something that hasn't been done, that you have their support instead of their skepticism or their disapproval. Yeah, I think it really helps a lot. And it's important for a lot of people to have that, not just at home from their families, but also in the workplace or any other place, I think is a very important thing for people to have that trust from people around them. 
So let's talk about the beginnings of Corporate Rebels because you have this dream job that you created for yourself, which is to travel around the world and visit the most inspiring companies and organizations and see how they work and report it back. It really seems like this role of both observer and then storyteller of finding these out, seeing do they really exist and then telling everyone else about it. And I'm curious how that role evolved. Yeah, I think that grew very naturally. It started from this very basic curiosity. Okay, if this type of organization that we're currently working in doesn't really work for us, is there an alternative? Because so many more people are experiencing the same thing. A lot of people, they do their job from nine to five and then they go back home again. And that's where they actually start living their lives. And for many people, the work week is just a long, boring wait for the weekend to begin again. And that's such a waste of time and waste of talent. We simply asked ourselves the question, isn't there a better way of working out there? And we simply set out to learn from the ones that are already doing a good job in this, pioneering in how they work. And we really set out as a sort of explorers to learn about those different management structures and organizational models with one simple question, how can we make work more fun? And by constantly asking that question and by visiting lots of those workplaces, we slowly but surely started to learn what those organizations could look like. By knowing that it can be done different, it gives people a lot of courage and initiative as well to start doing things differently themselves. And this is something that I think is highly needed to start this workplace revolution or a movement in changing the way companies work. Absolutely. And I love how you say that there's almost a power to just showing that it's possible. That there's another way of doing things and it doesn't have to be soul crushing. Yeah, and it, this is, a, I think, for many people, the first thing that comes to mind. If we talked about companies where people can set their own salary or set their own working hours or decide who they are hiring or firing as a team or companies without any managers, people were just saying, well, it's great that it works over there, but it will never work in a company like ours. So there was always a reason why people thought it wasn't possible. What we're trying to do with all of these examples and highlighting them and sharing how they work specifically, we give people a better understanding of what a new type of organizing can look like. And this gives people, I think, more confidence that it can actually be different than what we're used to today. It's really powerful. And I'd love to talk a bit more about how you have found these companies and then what you are learning from them. It was very simple. In the beginning, we just said we are looking for companies that are doing things differently or academics that could teach us something about how work can be organized in a better way or entrepreneurs or CEOs who have transformed companies. And we mostly actually came across those examples by reading a lot. And then we started to research more on the internet about these companies. It was very in a very natural, organic way. And it still actually happens like this. So we get suggestions from pioneering organizations around the world. We research them in quite a lot of detail. And if we think they're interesting enough, we add them to our bucket list, which is our list of workplace pioneers that we have on our website. And then we try to visit them and spend a couple of days inside their organizations to talk to a lot of people from the top to the bottom, from people working in, in, in marketing and sales towards production people, towards HR staff, and to really understand how they actually work different than the more traditional companies. I like how you describe talking to everyone at the company, not just the head of marketing or the leadership who's going to tell you a really good story. Yeah, because if we would have done that in the companies that we used to work for, 
Right, you and would have gotten a CEOs, very different. Yeah, the CEOs would have said, "This is a great company to yeah. work for. We're doing this and that and that." But then, when you get to the people, especially those at the front line, you probably get a pretty different story. And I guess when you're doing that, there are some companies that are actually don't pass the bar of someone you'd want to write about. And I'm kind of curious where that line is. How do you decide when we go there? And when, for example, it's a disappointment, sometimes we decide simply not to write about them. But for some, we believe it's valuable to actually share why we think it's not as inspiring as we thought it would be. For example, a company like Google, who has received quite a lot of praise for how they developed themselves as an organization. When we visited the company in a couple of locations and talked to some people working there, we got quite a different view on Google as an organization and what it's like to work for. So we also wrote about it and we discussed the pros and the cons of working for a company like Google. And why is it not as progressive as many people think it is? And what are they doing different now than they were maybe doing 10 years ago while they were more progressive back then? And then we prefer to actually highlight the ones that are really doing a good job. Yeah. And you've got your bucket list, which is the companies either you've already visited or that you want to visit for their pioneering practices. And the other thing that you've done that's really interesting is you've pulled out these, you call them eight trends, eight elements that they have in common. What's different about this list as opposed to other companies where you've worked? So that includes where the traditional companies focus on profit, these ones would be focused on purpose, where the traditional company might have a hierarchy, this one has more of a network of teams. A big one that you were just talking about is where a traditional company has command and control, this one has more freedom and trust. And I'd be curious to hear what feels different when you're in the company that has these. What's their everyday experience? First of all, these eight trends, I think it gives people a good understanding of what many of these organizations are doing different. And at the same time, I think it's important to mention that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. So it's some companies are really strong in this network of team structure, as you mentioned, where they break away from the traditional hierarchies and form into almost a group of small startups where people act as if they would really run their own company. And for me, I think personally, one of the things that I was missing very strongly in my previous job was the lack of freedom and trust. So the fact that a manager just wanted you in the office every single day for eight hours. By being behind your computer, that was the assumption that you were doing something useful. If I now contrast that with some of the progressive organizations that we see, for example, this Belgian ministry in Brussels, where the civil servants get to decide when they work, where they work even how many hours a week they work. And it's fully up to them. And the organization and the people in it, they just trust the employees to make their own decisions. And this is a public entity. It's a public entity. And Which that's is shocking, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this goes really against much of the preconceived ideas that we have about governmental organizations, where civil servants are just lazy and they clock in at five past nine and they leave before uh, five. But now this workplace shows that also in those types of organizations, we can actually find ways to engage people to a higher extent by treating them basically as adults. So at home, we are responsible and accountable for big decisions. And we also have the freedom to make them ourselves, for example, about buying a house, uh, meeting with friends, organizing things uh, like holidays with friends or uh, raising children. And we have these huge responsibilities at home and then we come into the workplace and we're not allowed to spend 100 or 200 euros of company money without two, three or four managers uh, signing off on it. 
or we get a job description that says this is what you do but then don't step outside the lines and this is what you don't do yeah we just treat people as if they are machines or as if they are children and this doesn't make any sense so it doesn't just waste a lot of potential and talent but it also wastes a lot of motivation because people they just stop thinking for themselves because they know it's not appreciated by the organization and they start actually acting like machines that clock in and clock out and more or less check out their brains when they enter the office. And what's interesting about that is almost this separation of work and life where you're <laughs> one person in life and then you have to come in and you be, have to be a smaller version of that person. Something that's really interesting, almost all the people I've talked to on this podcast have in common is at some point over their life, they've started to merge those two things where who they are then really comes into how they work and everything they do, including their work. It almost feels like a, just a more human way yeah. of approaching work. Yeah, and I think it's an interesting that you say that many of the people you talk to have a similar story as they are merging those two different personalities, the working person and the private person, and they try to combine it. But it's also a big shame that it's just now these people are the outliers still. The vast majority of people check out their personality while they enter the office. And this is so painful for both organizations and people themselves. And we spend not too much time on, on this planet individually. And we're just wasting so much of it by going into these boring and frustrating workplaces. And I think that's something that we really need to change. Not just for people to have more fun in life, but also for being able to, to solve the bigger challenges that we're facing at the moment. Yeah, and I'm so glad you bring that up. The connection between how the work is done and the what then at the end is the impact of the, the company, the product, the service. Yeah, well, studies show there's quite a strong correlation between motivation and passion and engagement and business outcomes. Whether that's purposeful impact or financial impact or innovation or productivity, all these metrics are quite strongly linked to engagement and motivation in the workplace. And this is something that more companies need to understand. Engagement is not a nice to have or a fun thing you can think about when the rest of your business is running properly. If you want to do something meaningful, then you need engaged people if they're just frustrated and disengaged with the workplace. And I have this experience of working while I was still studying, I worked for Duff, which is a big Dutch truck company. I spent eight hours a week on a production line. Oh, wow. What was and that every... like? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> it was really bad. It, it was just painful to work there for eight hours because there was no way that you would actually have to think for yourself and re really treat it as a machine. It really felt more like prison than actually a workplace. And there were people working there who were so disengaged who found a way and they threw a screw in a particular way on the assembly line. So it would block the entire assembly line. So the complete factory would come to a stop. And they knew if they would were able to throw it in properly, the alarm would set off. It would mean a break of about an hour before they could get that screw out again. So the entire assembly line would grind to a halt, And then the entire factory was cheering. So it shows it's not just a nice to have. You need it for people to not start sabotaging at the workplace because they are so disengaged. Yeah. And so now that we've kind of talked about what it might look like when it's done well, I'm really curious to hear from you of what it 
takes to get there because it's not just a switch that you can flip and tomorrow all of a sudden you have one of these amazing organizations <laughs> that's all of a sudden full of trust and purpose and teams and freedom. And so I'm curious what you've observed, what it does take to make all those things happen. Does it start at the top? Is it a long process? Is it a short process? There's different approaches and some companies have been able to transform from the bottom up. So really starting with a team leader and a team of about 20 people and starting to experiment with new ways of working, showing that it works, and then being able to convince other people to kind of join that movement. Most still, unfortunately, are transformed more from the top or at least, for example, a department leader or business unit leader who has a different view on work and what it could be like. A lot of experimentation has to take place. And I think we should... Focus much more strongly, whether the change comes from the top or the bottom, it doesn't really matter, but it has to be much more about experimentation and then constantly evaluating. Are we going on the right path? Are the changes that we're making actually contributing to where we want this company to go? And if the answer is no to those questions, then just kick out the experiment or adapt it and try something new that will hopefully then bring you towards your goal. And if you do that, for sure, some people will try to avoid it at the beginning, but others will be very inspired and say, okay, I'm, we want to be the pioneers. We want to experiment. And over time, you'll figure out that other people will probably want to join that movement. And you can bring the organization towards this more progressive state in a very organic way. And there's no need to actually push people into that direction. And I'm curious if you see this, and I've seen this as well, is almost this pitfall of trying to create a new way of working, but using the old model. So if you want to create freedom and trust, but you're doing it with, you know, a six month plan with weekly milestones, there's almost this incongruency between the two. Yeah, and you can't imagine how many times we've been asked questions like that. Can you give us a plan to transform or can you tell <laughs> us what we should do to uh, transform in one or two years time into this progressive workplace? And we always have to give a very disappointing answer, like we can't give you that. And there's no way to tell you how this transformation is going to evolve. Surely we can learn from many companies that have gone before you, but in the end you have to find your own way and whether you like it or not. It, in a way, almost requires not just bringing the whole human to who I am in my life and who I am at work, but also this union of the external and the internal, especially with COVID-19, the racism and discrimination conversations that are happening. It's forcing a lot of companies and a lot of leaders to ask themselves some of those hard questions of why are we in business? And how do I reconcile the fact that maybe we're doing some things that maybe don't necessarily fit with who I am? So I'm also curious, have you seen any of that internal struggle, internal work in order to then manifest it ex externally in the company and in the work? Yeah, definitely. And this often, if transformations start from a leader, either they've been born like that, really believing that people are intrinsically good and that we just need to give them the opportunity to show that as well. Um, on the other hand, you also have quite a few leaders that have gone through personal challenges and therefore have maybe been more reflecting on how they've been operating themselves and then start to rethink what the workplace could look like. And they use that kind of introspection they've had themselves to then also change the workplaces they are a part of. So yeah, you definitely see some of this. And I think also at the moment with uh, the corona pandemic and also with Black Lives Matter, the world is changing and businesses need to adapt, whether it's remote work and distributed teams or the fact that you speak out as a company 
on systemic racism. I think that's a very, very good change that we're seeing. And it brings a lot of trouble to a lot of companies, which is a good thing because it will help them to do a better business or be out of business if they are doing a shitty job at it. And it's going to take a lot of change and a lot of persistence, and a lot of discipline to actually turn the frustration into something meaningful again. But I think these changes always will lead to better outcomes in the end. If companies are actually able to adapt. Yeah, I hope so too. And a word that really comes to mind is authenticity, especially during this time where a lot of companies are making statements and all of us, and especially people who work in those companies, we can tell when the talk doesn't match the action. Yeah, I think what is more important that companies embrace the fact that they are not perfect, that show that, okay, we want to be more purpose-driven and we're trying to become it through various actions and through continuous learning about what we can do better. But we're not there. And this authenticity and being honest about the fact that you're not a perfect company, it is important to show that you're not perfect, but that you're actually taking deliberate action to get closer yes, to it. Exactly. And I'd love to end on what's next for you and for Corporate Rebels. We're realizing more and more the stuff that we're good at. So that is, as you mentioned, observing, researching, and then sharing those insights. And we want to do that just on a higher level and with more impact. So we're now working on an online academy that is going to be more detailed. We're going to focus on how do companies structure themselves in this network of team structures. And we're also setting up the first pilot program in Sweden, where we're going to group together some organizations in a sort of collaborative learning environment where a few people from each organization join and they're going to experiment inside their organizations. So slowly but surely continuing to bring everything that we do to a higher level, reach more people and have more impact in, in changing organizations for the better. That's awesome. And thank you for telling your story and for creating a movement around this. You've really shown that it's possible to do this differently. Well, happy to have been able to contribute to this. A big thanks to Pim. You can follow his work at corporate-rebels.com. This is Impact Journey. See you next time.